0: I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And
1: I'm Tom, challenged about the future in American society,
2: Bionic. Why don't I even read the titles? <laughs> you give them away with I your middle name. I know I didn't. Yeah, you virtually oh read it off the piece of paper. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you this week. I didn't read virtually read it
1: off the paper. I really did you read it the paper. You really did
2: read paper. it. Yeah, if you didn't gather surmise by Tom mm-hmm. Bionic's middle name, uh, this week we are going to talk about challenges to the Christian in modern American society. And it's just the kind of topic you would expect from our guest who's returning uh, one who's been probably one of our most, most prolific guests, but has not been here for a while. Robert Hyde. Robert Contemplative Bionic. Uh, <laughs> Hyde, sorry. Hyde. Uh, our, uh, dear friend, a pastor, uh, educator, mathematician, uh, intellectual, and a dear friend of our show, and has given us some great moments. And we're gonna do an experiment this week. We are doing something different where he has four different topics that he has been mulling over. That uh, he wanted to come on our show and sort of address a separate day for each one of these four topics. Thursday he'll sort of tie them all together. But uh we're going to talk this first day about the current police state that we're under. Not a emerging or a possible police state, but his assertion is that we are currently we're, under one right now and we it. have to acknowledge it. Uh, each of these shows will be brief. Uh He'll just barely address the topic and give you a lot to think about to connect the dots. So no further ado, here is... Uh, Pastor Robert Hyde, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future.
1: And I am Tom. I would not have voted to, uh, expand the National DNA Arrest Database,
2: but some people sure did. Bionic. Oh, that was a long name there. Yeah. And it's foreshadowing of our tomorrow's tremors later this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have a, uh, an old friend of ours, a very dear friend of our show. It's been too long since he's been back to the show. Uh, We have Robert Hyde, who is with us, a pastor, a Christian educator, uh, someone who is not only dear to us, but to many of our listeners out there. And uh, as you know, we are doing a series of shows this week, uh, each one on a different topic. uh, And we're going to be talking to Robert about some things he's been thinking and contemplating about, praying about, seeking the Lord about, under the broad umbrella of challenges to the Christian in modern American society. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, our first topic this week, which is the current police state. And I want to uh, welcome you, Robert, back to the Future Quick Show.
3: Oh, it's good to be back with you.
2: And uh, and,
3: uh, and with uh, Tom, uh, with the long middle name, Bionic. Yes.
2: <laughs> and we'd like to say hi to all our NSA people and others yeah. listening in. So, CIA. Uh, who evidently Mossad, overwhelmed GRU. our system a few minutes ago and uh, caused a crash right as we started our yeah. interview. So I want to ask you guys in the trailers out there to back off on the power a little bit. Yeah,
1: turn the <laughs> see that knob to the right? Turn you know, it to d- about 75%. Just, just turn it
2: down because we have a show to record. So um, we've got a very interesting <laughs> show to, uh, t- to talk uh, with you about an interesting topic this week. Uh before we get started, uh, Robert, can I ask you real quickly, has there been any new developments since uh, we talked to you last at the first of the year, you were here for our traditional prediction show, uh, any big developments your way uh, before we get into the topic today?
3: Um, no big developments, but I would say just a, just a more clear realization uh, and a willingness to face some uh, bitter facts, okay. and uh, I would like to pass those on, it gives me no pleasure, but I think it needs to be said. And that is that uh, we, Americans, Christians, uh, everybody, we are in a police state. We are in a police state in this country. We're in a police state right now. It's, uh, it's not something that's about to happen. It's something that is in place, and it's, and it's well underway.
1: Okay. Wow, don't hold back. Don't, don't be around <laughs> I'm not. the bush. You know,
2: you, you know many in alternative media, Christian otherwise, say that this police state is coming. And you're saying it's already here. I'm saying uh, it is here. Mm-hmm. Well, what we first need to do is we need to define what you mean as a police state, and then what is your proof that it actually already exists today? So, can you define that for us what it is and why you believe it's already pre-existing?
3: Yeah. Um, once once you uh, kind of get a working definition of what a police state is, uh, it's, it suddenly becomes very clear that we really are actually in the middle of one. Um, the the term police state is actually one a fairly modern usage. Uh, I speak as a historian, uh, so 150 years is not a long time in human history. But the uh, but the phrase police state was uh, first coined, I believe, around uh, 1865 uh, to describe some circumstances that existed in Austria at the time, or at least the Austrians were concerned about it, uh, and they defined what they were concerned about as a police state. Um, to, to to compare it with uh, with what is not a police state uh, traditionally government uh, particularly um, local government, has tried to focus on um, public order uh, crime uh, prosecution, um, settling differences between people, keeping the courts open, um, avoiding vengeances and vendettas and that sort of thing and uh and so local control was usually uh reposed in a sheriff who was there when you needed him and hopefully wasn't there when you didn't uh but a police state differs from that more traditional view of government by actually having a uh, standing armed forces whose purpose is to repress the citizens so it's it's quite a difference it's um it's a difference in motivation and it's a difference in results. It's a difference of means and ends uh, that what we would call law enforcement is actually um, a group of um, individuals who are actively seeking to control the people and um, not, to, not to protect them from uh, pirates or anything like that, but to, in fact, inflict social control on them. That's a police state.
2: Okay. Wow. So, so does this that kind of state then basically serve to further its own ends rather than the ends of the people?
3: That's right. Uh, it's it's always in the service of some some central group. Uh, and knowing what we do, you know, naturally uh, the usual suspects—people uh, who are a little richer, people who are a little more powerful, people who are a little more well-connected—tend uh, to gain the levers of. Of control and they find it uh, pleasant and useful, and uh, so a police state begins to grow.
2: Hmm. Well, now, wh- what is your evidence that we live actually here in America under a police state today?
3: I'm uh, thinking about several really strong pieces of evidence. Uh, first of all, uh, we all know, really, when we think about it, that we live in a in a very strictly controlled national security state. Um, we, we have uh, all these acronyms uh, of different agencies that are out there to supposedly provide security. And when we, you look at them, we have layer upon layer of security. We have the TSA in our airports. We have the NSA uh, watching our telephone calls. We have uh, the CIA that's supposedly uh, protecting us from uh, foreign bad guys. We have the FBI uh, that's supposedly protecting us from domestic bad guys. Uh, <clears throat> we have the Department of Homeland Security. We have military intelligence. We have various foreign intelligence agencies that are free to operate in this country. So um, we've got, what, five, six, seven different layers of uh, of people that we know about. Uh, and <clears throat> they worry me a little bit. Uh, but it's the guys I don't know about. Uh, they, they concern me, too. So we have a... We have a strong national security state. <clears throat> you start thinking about it, it's been in place for quite a while. Uh, it's getting stronger. It's getting worse. It's been here. It's here.
2: Hmm. Okay. Now, uh, your, your background, you have a very varied background. You're a mathematician, uh, person of math and science. You've been an educator, uh, particularly in secondary education for quite a while, uh, right. for a long time, decades. i uh, been a pastor of several churches. Yes. Um, I, I know you're a fan of history, uh, in, in other intellectual endeavors and things like this. Uh, what is it that really struck you that says this really exists right now? What, what in your background told you that we're, we're in something that you've seen in history before?
3: Well, <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, a lifetime of reading history, uh, you, you, you see the, uh, the historic police states of the 20th century, uh, you run into Nazi Germany, of course, Soviet Russia. Uh, other European states were, were more or less police states. <clears throat> and you you draw some parallels and you see some connections, but you don't like to really connect the dots. Um, should, have, should have admitted it a long time ago uh, that the very types of structures that were in place in um, – in some of these other totalitarian regimes are being set up in this country, um, <clears throat> but most recently, <clears throat> I've been uh, I've been impressed by a book by Paul Craig Roberts called "The, the Tyranny of Good Intentions," and uh, one of the things that he deals with, and this is a book actually that was uh, published about ten or eleven years ago, and it's been republished, uh, was a a discussion of. Uh, the collapse of uh, the traditional judiciary in the United States where um, the, uh, the uh, traditional judiciary that was established on uh, rights of Englishmen and uh, English common law and natural law, um, that has given way in this country over the course of a couple of generations uh, to a very different kind of political sociological law. Uh, and his evidence for that is compelling. It's overwhelming. About the way our um, our judicial system has been uh, hijacked.
2: Now, how does this belief state affect our day to day life today, both overtly and even in subtle ways? Uh,
3: I'll give you a subtle way. Um, A a question that arises to me is, uh, who's writing the law? Um, If we're living in a a, a democracy or a representative democracy. I'm expected to have some kind of an input in the laws that we have. And uh, I'm driving down the highway, and I'm seeing that um, reckless driving now is an offense that is punishable by eight years in prison. You like that? Um, And I'm asking myself, when did I ever decide that a person who is guilty of reckless driving – deserved eight years in a penitentiary. Uh, did you, were you consulted? Um, uh, you you well, know, I, I don't mean, even
2: remember it announced in the media that it had been decided by somebody. Right. All I don't sudden, know who decided this, it or when.
3: There's just this sign up there on the highway, <clears throat> and <clears throat> I've been noticing that um, lots, of, um, lots of crimes that I would call petty crimes, um, have now been classified as felonies, and uh, the diff- the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony is quite a significant difference. I mean, it used to be. It isn't much anymore, but it used to be quite a difference I- at law. A um, felony was a- an extremely serious crime uh, that in some traditions was typically a capital crime, and, uh, you know, kidnapping, for example, is a- it used to be a capital crime and uh that was considered a felony um perhaps armed robbery is a felony, murder certainly is a felony rape is a felony uh, <clears throat> but now we're finding <clears throat> the word felony being used to describe um speech um uh, uh, animal cruelty uh things that uh, where we say these these are unsavory, but um but uh, all of a sudden, they've become uh, extremely serious crimes, and people, you know, are expected a really hard time for what would have traditionally been called a misdemeanor, or wouldn't have been a crime at all.
4: hmm Okay.
3: So that's that's a, to me that is subtle. That is, and nobody's announced it to me. I've just started to notice it.
2: Well, well let me just say, some people would say, well. You know the draconian measures our government has taken over our day-to-day affairs and monitoring what we're doing is just a necessary thing of the day and age we live in. But could you give us any examples of any modern societies, other countries that you think do not live in a police state right now?
3: Um, I I, I don't know. Um, I'm not I'm not well enough traveled to. To make a good judgment um, the the police state is pretty is pretty prevalent uh around the world uh when you find out for example that uh you know i don't want to pick on the fbi but but i'm going to um, <laughs> the FBI has had um offices and agencies in other sovereign countries for years and years and years uh south america Europe, and so forth. Uh, where they do what they want to do, and uh, they get involved in quote uh, helping helping teach crime prevention to um, you know undeveloped economies and that sort of thing, and you realize that uh, we are exporting uh, we are exporting a police state around the world. Okay. So I, I don't know where it doesn't exist. Uh, hopefully, there's you know dozens of places where people are living in wonderful freedom. I just don't know where they are.
2: So in addition to Baywatch and Dallas, that's another one of our major exports to the world. Uh, our wonderful entertainment medium <laughs> and the police <laughs> state. Now, now Christians. Uh, what impact are Christians in America having in, in regard to this police state in our society?
3: Um, I would say uh, directly, none. Um, I don't think that there's there's probably any any serious Christian who wants a police state or is working to establish a police state in this country, so uh you know from that vantage point uh, I guess christian's hands are pretty clean uh but i think um I think uh Christians have been uh persuaded to do things and say things and stand for things that may be uh that may be feeding the police state
2: hmm. yeah. Like what? Can you give us some examples?
3: Well, we're we use sound bites. We uh, I remember forty years ago, uh, the big deal was that we needed law and order, uh, and law and order means different things to different people, and uh, you know. Uh, From the point of view of, you know, if if by law and order we mean, I think, what most church-going Christians think they mean is, you know, we just want to live a peaceable, orderly life and and so forth. Law and order sounds good, Uh, but in some people's minds, this means um, using the instruments of the state for repressing dissent. Uh, It means if people are uh, opposed to a war, if you have peace activists and so forth, uh, we go and we lock them up, and we call them traitors if uh, people protest uh, the government uh, because they feel aggrieved, which is a constitutionally protected behavior. Um, some people think that that's okay, and other people think that that's beyond the pale. So uh, I think <clears throat> I think Christians have been used, manipulated, uh, into supporting things. Uh, in terms of developing the police state, that if they stopped for a while and thought about where we're going, they they might have second thoughts.
2: Mm-hmm. It, it, wouldn't you say a large portion of them support the Patriot Act and its yeah. provisions? Uh, we, we've heard statistics that says that uh, uh, a larger portion of evangelicals support torture than any other segment of society.
3: I've heard that. I have, I have studied that, and I... I, I tend to believe that that is the case I, I believe that is true information
2: If you li- uh, if you listen to Christian media um, they often spend much of their time glorifying the war fighter, the warrior and the fact that we have people of other different religious faiths that pose an immediate threat to us and want to wipe us out and we better start killing them before they kill us uh, preferably on other lands if possible to keep them out of here uh, doesn't that also support the aims of a police state as well?
3: I think it does. Um, I'd like to—I'd like to give you some thoughts. What I think really causes a police state, um, I think—not to—not to diminish its seriousness—but I think it is the natural trajectory of a civilization, um,
4: hmm.
3: uh, particularly as a civilization uh, That's urbanizes. That's <laughs> um, People people tend, uh, when they're crowded together, uh, to get on each other's nerves and,
2: uh, paranoia they, sets in.
3: Yeah. Paranoia sets in. People, um, start, uh, having chips on their shoulders, uh, perhaps for, for good reasons, feel that they have been mistreated. And so, uh, they, they welcome a, a strong arm that they think is going to vindicate them and, uh, put the other guy down. And of course, uh, that's always a two-edged sword. Uh, the same policeman that can vindicate you today uh, can come and arrest you tomorrow and uh, and may well do that.
2: Should a Christian in America and the com- Christian community just tolerate the police state and be about other spiritual business while tolerating it, or do they have some other responsibility, in your opinion, to address it and, and its impact on people?
3: Um, I want to dodge that question i want to I want to kind of throw it out to the audience uh, of listeners. Um, I wonder what the um what the listening audience really thinks about a police state. Um, do you think that it is your friend? Do you think that a police state is the friend of your neighbors? Do you think that a police state is a friend of your enemies uh, that you are commanded by Christ to love uh, Is the police state actually administering uh, God's justice? Is it administering God's mercy? Um, Or is it a political agenda? And is a political agenda just as acceptable with God as, let's say, the gospel? Um, You know where I'm going with this. Uh, You know, these questions sort of answer themselves to me. But I think it's a question that uh, every Christian has to has to examine and ask, uh, and uh, hopefully seek an answer. Mm-hmm. What, what do we think about a police state?
2: Okay, uh, and I guess that answer would then necessitate um, what we might do or not do, based upon that answer. Correct.
3: Um, uh Rephrase that question for well, uh, based, based sure. upon whether
2: whether we decide whether we like it or tolerate it actually impacts whether we're actually going to do something to address it or not. Um, some people may be very happy and content as long as the negative attributes are 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 seen to be impacting people other than ourselves. Uh, we could be very comfortable with it if we feel like it protects us at the expense of other people. Um, what about you in particular? How do you feel about it, and do you feel any sense of responsibility or a desire to address it?
3: I do feel a sense of responsibility, and I feel a lot of concern, uh, but frankly, I, I'm i not sure what's to be done. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, th- going back in, in American history, we can, we can run the clock back 70 years uh, to around 1940, and we can find that um, – the American people had expressed their will uh, in a desire for neutrality uh, in the run-up to World War II. Um, And they expressed that will by electing members of Congress who actually did pass a series of neutrality acts uh which did represent the the will of the American people uh something like 70 or 80% of the American people supported uh neutrality in the run up to World War II. Uh President um, Roosevelt was sensitive to this and he ran on a campaign in 1940 that um, uh we will not we will not be involved in a foreign war and so forth. Uh but the truth of the matter was that um The nation was being rearmed very quickly. Uh, War was intended. War was being planned uh, in great detail at that time. And so when you have a situation where the express will of the people is being overruled, um, and I don't know what the people could have done to stop it, if we if we had a situation today where seventy or eighty percent of the American people said we don't want a police state, um, would that mean that we didn't have one? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a it's a tough one. I I don't know how exactly how we grapple with it, um, but I think that the first the first order of business is to recognize that it is here. Uh, stop kidding ourselves that this is some looming danger. It's actually present. And um, then we can begin to think about how we address it.
2: Okay. Uh, Unless we're going to extend over into a second day at the sacrifice of another topic, we're we're coming to the last two minutes of this day's show. So I'd like for you to either to summarize what your final thoughts are in this next two minutes, uh, or you can talk about some realistic goals we can set on how to address this. So take the last uh, minute and a half or so to uh, share with us uh, what, what your final thoughts are on this matter.
3: Okay. Well, I think, I think we have to, as Christians, come to grips with the fact that, um, that we have a grim outlook. We have a grim outlook in the near future, and, uh, and I don't know when it's going to get better, and we need to look at it. And I think one of the consequences is we're going to see increasing injustice, We're going to see increasing police raids, uh, warrantless searches, uh, people being pulled over, people being stopped at roadblocks, people being asked to produce documents. Um, We're we're going to see um, repression of citizens widening. Uh, And it's not going to start with us, um, but it's already operating against um, certain groups. And it will it will be a widening uh, issue. So um, I, I don't have a, an answer except at this point, just to say um, I think uh, Christian people um, need to get realistic um, about where we are, and um, I'll, I'll just leave it there.
2: We're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future
1: and Tom the Usurper 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 bionic.
2: Usurper Bionic yeah. Usurper of what. The title for the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, I don't know. We've had some mind control experiments over there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was our first our Thanks. first show uh, for the week with Robert Hyde. Uh, it was one that went really quick. There's certainly a lot more that could be said to talk about what is the nature of a police state. Uh, some of us still live in a Pollyanna view of America mm-hmm. as this wonderful panacea or we just do the XYZ. We'll fix it. Uh, he paints a picture that things are much more dire. Uh, we have to accept it and uh, learn how to adapt in service to Christ, uh, where this is. Mm-hmm. And somebody else who can help you is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us. Future Quake.
5: Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Doctor Future and Tom Bionic at Doctor Future at futurequake.com.
0: Let's get out of here.
2: Come back for our next topic tomorrow with uh, Pastor
0: Robert Hyde. Till then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom? Question
2: mark. Bionic. Question mark. It's like yeah. Question Mark and the Mysterians. Mm-hmm. You know their big hit? 96 Tears. Wow. Do yeah. they count them? Uh, I don't know, but it was a big hit. Rock and roll hit. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, another hit for you all will be our guest this week, Robert Hyde, uh, who's come back after uh, uh, being gone for almost half a year. Uh, to talk about challenges to the Christian and modern American society. As we said, uh, he is tackling a different topic each day. So we're very brief on these, uh, interludes and then we're mm-hmm. going to summarize it Thursday, uh, with a common solution. So, with no further ado, here is Robert Hyde and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future.
1: And I am Tom Caesar dot 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 salad bionic.
2: Okay, (laughs) now that's a little immediate foreshadowing here, Uh, and that's because we are uh, for the second day with our guest this week, Robert Hyde, uh, and we're talking all week about the challenges to the Christian in modern American society. Each day is a different topic, and our second day this week, we're going to be talking about Caesar, the Christian, and government. And uh, Robert, I want to welcome you to today's version of the Future Quake Show.
3: It's good to be back with you again.
2: All right. Well, we've got a new topic again today for this. And uh, does
3: and does uh, Tom Bionic have a new middle name today? He did. Yeah. He
1: did. It was Tom Caesar. Dot 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 salad. <laughs> yeah.
2: Bionic. Right, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Food. Food on the brain. Yeah. Mister Bionic right. over here. Okay. When I see the
1: word Caesar, I think Caesar salad.
2: Okay. Well, that's so. that's good. I think we're going to talk about something different here, and uh, not Caesar the ape from Planet of the Apes either. That's a different. The, the, Stop the, the real in the name deal. of Caesar. Uh, we're going to obviously by bringing up Caesar, we're going to talk about uh, secular governments, and um, this is a topic we could go on for a very long period of time, but we've only got a one-day dose of it, so we're going to jump right in. Robert, can, can you right. talk a little bit about how governments arose? You know, uh, assemblies of of. An organization to rule over the human populace in different areas. How did such governments arise, and what were their features in the biblical ancient world?
3: Um, you know, that's a good question. I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch that one back at you. Um, how do you think that they they arose? And when you when you think back, I thought into he the was midst, I thought he was, yeah, the, he was, guest. He was the guest. the oh, guest? I'm not the answer. What's man? your middle name? Uh, <laughs> um, when you look back into the mists of history. How do you think governments arose? What what was their development? Well, you
2: think? F- from f- taking a conventional answer and approach, um, the closest thing resembling a government that I immediately recollect is talked about uh, at the at the tower, uh, uh, and and it was understood that Nimrod actually formed some kind of um, assembly of people. He was sort of a tyrant over the people of Earth, and uh, the, the first assemblage after the flood to try to gather people It says they dwelt in the plains of Shinar so they did not spread out, uh they they stayed in one area and he began to dominate their activities and uh things quickly developed to a point where not only did he dominate their life, but he he was attempting to challenge the throne of God himself until God put his timey to it. So that's that's the first one I'm thinking of mm-hmm. of an actual government system in the Bible.
3: Yeah. Um, I would like to contrast that, um, we generally think of Nimrod as a bad guy, at least I do, um, and in contrast to that, <clears throat> you have, uh, God telling, um, uh, the children of Noah that they need to spread out over all the world, and, um, maybe some did, certainly they did after the Tower of Babel, but, um, if, if those people spread out across the world, what kind of government did they have? And, um... As near as I could tell, people uh, spread out in clans and tribes and family groups, uh, in which case they either had some kind of a patriarchal or communal government, and, uh, and we have to figure out what, what was this. Um, wasn't it more or less just to settle family squabbles, harmony, divide up the land, um, people bickering about uh, whose ox got gored? Uh, today, um, settling, settling um, human issues um, in, in a sense of, if not exactly equality, um, at least with some kind of a general family, tribal, clan status where uh, differences between uh, classes was minimal. Uh, Maybe there was a difference between the sexes. Maybe there was some mistreatment there. I don't know. Um, But it appears to me from a reading of Scripture that this uh, kind of government, although it was not ideal, we live in a fallen world, uh, was something that God was more or less content with as opposed to the repressive central government of Nimrod where he was – uh, bending all the efforts of uh, the people who associated with him uh, in this big project to build this tower, and uh, everybody was subordinate to the central plan. Huh. So I'm saying all that to say it seems to me that um, <clears throat> governments that that deal with people as individuals and mem- members of a community And uh, solves their problems and squabbles and um, establishes some rules for living is what is in mind with a legitimate government. And um, governments that specialize in uh, grand plans uh, where the labor of many is subordinate to the wishes of the few uh, almost absolutely characterizes bad government. So I I would like to
2: make that distinction right up front. Okay. Well, related to that, you know, God had a few things to say in the Bible about governments, um, how they should be structured, things he didn't like about what he Mm -hmm. saw with them. What kind of suggestions did God give of the most ideal government state, you know, while we're still under the state of being under fallen human government? You know, not in not, not an ideal state. We've fallen since the, since the fall of man. No man is perfect, nor our environments. But given that, what, what is the most ideal state by seeing from his own words?
3: Well, you probably know where I'm going to go with this. Um, I like to go to um, the book of Judges, um, where we find that um, after uh, the children of Israel had established themselves in the promised land with God's help, um they were to follow god's law uh which was uh pretty extensive and pretty specific uh but i would like to characterize some things about it um they were they were to operate under uh, a known law and uh they they were not going to be put under any kind of ex post facto laws where somebody was going to uh Invent a crime, and retrofit it onto them. In other words, they knew they knew what the rules of the game were going right. into it, um, and uh, their property was to be respected, and um, their their um, privileges uh, as an individual, uh, the right to due process. Uh, it was it was uh, absolutely illegal to to bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, malicious prosecutions were uh, severely discouraged. Um, they were to um, be respectful of the needs of strangers. They were supposed to be respectful even of the, you know, the needs of slaves and the poor. Uh, and uh, there, were, there were quite a number of safeguards that were placed in the law that were to um, to guide them to um, to a community that was supposed to uh, allow for a lot of liberty, mm-hmm. a lot of freedom.
2: Can, can I add a few other observations that, that I noticed? Yeah. Um, you know, we see a time when Moses took these tribes that basically came up to their own confederacy. They really had their own internal government, the best I could see. He mm-hmm. led them at a time where they needed transition. Uh, out of bondage to another place. Uh, there was another individual leader that led them into conquering their own territory, so then they could help settle each tribe in their own land. But then at the at the death of Joshua, we see basically evolve where each tribe took over their own land. Everything was decentralized. There had been set previously by, I guess, Jethro and Moses, a series of judges that were decentralized way down to the local level where everything was handled right. at the lowest level possible, uh, right. but everything was where very, the
3: people Where the people who knew the most about the particulars of any situation right. were on hand to make whatever judgment was necessary.
2: And the, and the people involved. Uh, but but at the end of uh, it, at that particular phase, it it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. And many Christians look at that in a very, very negative way to mean that there was just total lawlessness and total disregard for God and of course people fell and things like this but it appears to me that that decentralized state was the ideal that God intended and what God had led them to the promised land to live and the only time a national figure arose was was when they went into sin and that they were being punished by a foreign power Mm -hmm. and then a leader had to release them and then they went back to this decentralized state again and it as I understand it it appeared to be God's ideal and then when they got this bright idea to get a king like the pagan nations had, God tried to talk it out of them because for two for two reasons it came to mind to God: one was that they were going to tax you terribly, and the second thing is they were going to conscript your children and send them off to war, doing bidding of the king and the government rather than the family, and then go off to war and of course they didn't abide by by God's recommendations and told Samuel to give them a king like they wanted. So it seems like to me that this uh this era that many Christians think was a negative period uh, in in the people of Israel was actually a state that God had wanted them to be in of separated tribes doing their own thing, raising their family and just abiding by the law, coming to Jerusalem, you know, for the appointed feasts and things but otherwise just living their own
0: quiet lives.
3: I think so, especially when you see how um God contrasted what they were what they were under uh with <clears throat> the monarchy that they asked for, and God very clearly warned them uh, that this was not going to be good. I think we can go back to some first principles and uh and see what what God's mind is, and that is <clears throat> as a as a Christian, as a human being, uh we know that God uh wants to have and is perfectly a- capable of having a direct relationship with his people, uh, which means he has the capability of a direct relationship with you, with me, where we can be aware of God's law and God's mind and <clears throat> and we have a responsibility to follow it. Um, and whenever um, a third party gets involved, you can call him a king or you can call him Caesar or you can just say central government, um, this, this is not uh, on principle a good thing because you are substituting the direction of another individual in place of the direct relationship of um, God over his people. That was clearly what was happening in Israel, um, and by extension it happens um, in other places around the world. So um so Caesar doesn't come across as being um a very good a very good um uh, substitute for the direct rule of God. But people are gonna say, you know, and they they can quote uh scripture, uh render to Caesar what is Caesar's and uh, and I think we ought to take a look at that and uh, we can read uh, scriptures that talk about uh let every let every uh, Christian be uh, a subordinate to uh, to higher powers, and uh, and we can we can certainly look at that. And uh, one of the things that, that I find is that uh, yes, um, <clears throat> there there is a there is a time there is a, a role to be played by by uh, people acting together in a coordinated way in a group and uh, it, and the leader may be a sheriff or he may be a governor uh hopefully he's a person close enough to the situation that he understands it uh hopefully he is a man who is committed to justice and mercy uh and wisdom uh and he is not an anonymous figure um and when we have when we have powers like that uh there are times when um, justice has to be executed I think, uh, you know, in the New Testament, it talks about the fact that, uh, you know, you have, may have highwaymen who are out, mm-hmm. uh, right, out in the boondocks, uh, waylaying uh, travelers and uh, stealing from people and uh, armed gangs, and so forth, that uh, clearly require um, the kind of resistance uh, that one person or even two or three people may not be able to to handle. So. You know, there may be a time when the community has to come together and, uh, and can
2: I execute. Ask, yeah, go ahead. Can I ask you a question about this? Getting into the New Testament guidelines for the Christian and their relationship to authorities and government. Does uh-huh. that have to be taken into context of the fact that at that particular time in world history, the 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 readers uh, that these letters were being written to were people who were subject to a foreign power. That they in in many of the surrounding Mm -hmm. countries of the known world were actually under the subjection of a foreign power that was actually sent partially in judgment over the sinfulness of the people and that a series of these foreign powers actually uh, for a select season were given authority over these particular people that they really had no choice or reason and... They even understood, they understood from scriptures and the prophets, why those particular figures were there and why they were under subjection and judgment. Does that need to be taken into account when we start reading some of those guidelines in the New Testament and apply them to today in the kind of society we have today?
3: I'm, I'm thinking about what kind of a guy Caesar was. Um, uh, you know, in, in one sense, Caesar was simply a pirate. Um, you, you can read that um, Caesar conquered Gaul, and, uh, and his successors, who took the family name, were, uh, gained their fame and fortune and their prestige essentially by going out and uh, committing acts of piracy and aggression against um, local people, and they treated them as second class. Uh, you know they were barbarians, they were not educated, they were not civilized, and so this became an excuse to oppress these people and there's no there's no point in uh making nice about the Roman Empire and its cruelties um, and it's It's rather clear to me at least from uh studying at least some of the prophecies in Daniel and elsewhere that the, God doesn't speak highly of uh em, of world empires and I assume that includes the Roman Empire, uh, where they made their fortunes off of uh, the misery of unhappy people. Um, on the other hand, you know, when Caesar comes back to Rome, uh, there is the Law of the Twelve Tables there in Rome, and it specifies certain rules of justice and uh, order and uh, Right living and uh due process and so forth and uh so you know in some ways you know Caesar is wearing two hats uh you know on uh on Monday he's a bad guy out there uh pillaging of the empire, and uh on Tuesday he is sitting in judgment uh, so how do you how do you hmm. respond to it to a situation like that no. and the answer is I think um. Your response is nuanced. Um, when and where Caesar is acting as a as an impartial judge, uh, you respect him. Where he is acting the part of the pirate and the militant, you don't. And mm-hmm. uh, it seems to me, uh, in a reading of uh, early church history, that the Christians had it figured out pretty well. Uh, Can I ask they you? Were, a- Go ahead.
2: I want to ask you a question about this just to solve a, a mystery that I have. Um, you know, at this time, these people were under subjection to this Roman authority, and they really had no practical way to stand up to the system, particularly if they weren't Roman citizens. Uh, Caesar and his minions were going to do what they're going to do, and they wanted peace. They wanted law and order. Most of the time, that was beneficial to most people, but they really didn't have any way to put practically put a stop to it, even if they wanted to. If they did, all they would do was just cause widespread misery, uh, if they even attempted it. But at the same time, I don't believe God held those people, the Christians, accountable for the sins of Caesar. The terrible, yeah, horrible things that he did, because they they had no responsibility with it, couldn't do anything about it. He did as he pleased, and he'd be held accountable. Now, fast forward to where we are now. Those of us who live in representative democracies in this era of world history... It, it seems to me that we have an additional responsibility that the Christians of that era didn't have, in that the leaders that we have are self-imposed. They are leaders that we have opportunity and a say in anointing. They didn't anoint their leaders; we anoint ours. We actually go to the ballot box. We, us and fellow citizens, pick these leaders that that that, that come out. It's not not an anointing by you know uh, hereditary nature or anything, and so. Given the fact that we pick these leaders, do we not have additional responsibility for the things that are done under their watch and that we're accountable to God for? And and in, in similar manner, should the guidance that the Bible gives for leaders themselves and their desire to lead justly and to not exploit the people, are those really more practical guidelines for us today where we are since we're in the role of actually anointing those leaders? and that we need to heed the guidance given to the leaders themselves as opposed to the subjugated people, mm. since we're the ones that are supposedly selecting our representative leaders?
3: I would like to say yes, <clears throat> but um, it, kind of, it, it goes back to uh, something we were talking about in our last show yesterday when we were talking about uh, the police state um, we're in a we're in a much worse situation in this country uh, than we want to admit. Um, let's let's uh, there are three of us having this conversation now. Let's assume that uh, one of us is a Democrat. Let's assume that one of us is a Republican. Let's assume that one of us is a third party person. Uh, if 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 we were divided in that way. We would have to look at each other and say, um, "My party has been completely ineffective in resisting the encroachments of the police state. Um, we have an enormous problem. Uh, <clears throat> how are we, how are we going to address it? Um, I think um, I think the, the the problem that we have now is um, Caesar <clears throat> Caesar has so much power and so much control. Um, you know we can say render unto Caesar with that which is Caesar's. Uh, you know and okay you know render to Caesar what Caesar's but I, I'm just warning you uh, next year Caesar is going to be back wanting you to render more. And the year after that, Caesar is going to be back wanting you to render more. And you have to ask the question um, when is enough enough? When do I care enough about my people that um, I wake up and realize that uh, the thing that we need to render to Caesar right now is um, a real good talking to. And um, <clears throat> and we got to put some things on the line, and C- Caesar needs to have some things explained to him. Um, <clears throat> my read of um, of the New Testament scriptures is that, by and large, um, Christians were urged to live uh, peaceful lives. Um, I think it wouldn't be too far. A field to say that they were supposed to live lives uh, where they respected life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think the early Christians would have been just fine with the Declaration of Independence uh, and and the goals of it. Um, and and most people are not looking for a political fight, and I don't think we need to make revolutionaries out of anybody. I think it's also true that. Um, people who have a prophetic call or people who have an apostolic call, um, people who have a pastoral call uh, where they have some responsibility um, either to protect the flock of God or even more specifically, they're called by God to address kings. Uh, in that case, <clears throat> they need to be very forthright. I, I noticed that um, when Jesus um, had his opportunity to confront uh, Pontius Pilate, he held Pontius Pilate to account. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that uh, Pontius By the way, we've Pilate, got
2: we've got about a minute, so just okay, we so can wrap her up in a minute. Okay.
3: Pontius Pilate, uh, yes, Pontius Pilate was ordained. Uh, the powers that be are ordained of God, and I suppose that includes Pontius Pilate. Jesus says, "You would not have no power if it had not been given to you from above." Which was stating to Pontius pilot that he had enormous responsibilities, and uh, what Caesar needs to hear today is that uh, if he has power, he has enormous responsibility before God. And and that's that's uh, the message that I think some Christians at least need to pass on to whatever government we're under.
0: We're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom?
1: Question mark? Question mark? Bionic? Okay.
2: Hey, can I ask your opinion about my assertion in the show that um, because we live under a very different government than what they had in the New Testament, where we actually are responsible for picking our own leaders and basically anointing our kings, that we really should respond more to the directions in the Bible that are given to leaders themselves, hmm. since we are basically the ones responsible for our leadership, uh. Uh, rather than the ones that... I they, think, they're under a king and they're helpless. I mean, We're...
1: I think that is. I think that is a valid point. I would add to that real quickly that I, in my studies of this, there seems to be three spheres of influence that God has sort of ordained in a person's life. That's family, uh, and that's uh, sort of your community and who you belong to. And then there's there's well, uh, I e the church. If you're your your church family, your fellowship of believers, if you're a believer. Um, and then, and then government. And what happens is, oftentimes uh, in modern day, especially germane to this show, is that government tends to usurp both the church, community, and the family's role in what's going on.
2: Right. And rather than a multipolar yeah, society, yeah. And everybody, unipolar.
1: everybody sort sort of draws the line differently, but I tend to draw it really low on where the government what what it should do and what it shouldn't do, and that you know. Mm-hmm. basing its legitimacy on that.
2: Well, somebody else we need to hear from is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake.
5: FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at Future at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
2: Okay, we're over overdue. Okay, out. Come back tomorrow for our third segment with Robert Hyde.
0: Until then, we hope your
2: future is always bright. Have a good day.
0: Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Welcome
5: to
2: the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future.
1: And I'm Tom? Question mark, question mark, question mark, bionic.
2: Well, like 30 shows from now, you're going to have like 30 question marks on the end. Yeah, pretty much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you again today. Um, this is our third day of our interview of our old friend Robert Hyde, uh, who's talking uh, in general about challenges to the Christian and modern American society. Each day's a different topic, subtopic, and today's a very interesting one. It's the Pharisee, the Christian, and the Law. And um, again, it's another one where we'll just scratch the surface, but I think you'll find it interesting. So here's Robert Hyde, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Welcome to the Future Quick Show. I am Dr. Future.
1: And I am Tom, uh, not a Pharisee, bionic.
2: Which okay. no one knows why you refer to, at least for the next few seconds. Yep. Uh, we are back today for our third day of our visit with our special guest, Robert Hyde, talking all week about the challenges to the Christian in modern American society. Uh, and I'm going to ask you, Robert, if you don't mind, to su- summarize very briefly the two topics you've covered in day one and day two, uh, and then move us into the third topic and sort of show how they're related. So can you give us a very, very quick capsule of the significance of your first two days' talk and lead us into the our third topic for the day?
3: Yeah, well, what I um, hope to convey was a sense of seriousness about the fact that we are already in the middle of a police state in this country. Um, a, a police state is evil as far as I'm concerned, uh, we have seen horrible examples of police states in the 20th century. We never believed that it would happen here, but but it is here. And this police state has been growing for decades, and it's very well developed. It's very strong. It's an evil that is surrounding us, and uh, and we Christians are are struggling with knowing how to grapple with the police state. So that was the first the first point that I wanted to make, and hope I made it uh, clearly second thing that we talked about uh, yesterday was <clears throat> Caesar and government. And uh, you and I had a conversation contrasting different forms of government. And uh, the main point that I wanted to make there really was that uh, Caesar, Caesar is um, always a mixed bag. Uh, Caesar, you know, representing uh, the powers that be, uh, has a certain um, – Law enforcement types of responsibilities. He has a responsibility for justice, ordering of society, and so forth. And yet, uh, historically, um, Caesar is usually a pirate. Uh, He is a person who is um, usually uh, considerably richer, more powerful, more well-connected, luckier, whatever. And he has uh, the levers of power in his hands, and he does not always use these well or wisely. Um, he is not always doing the will of God, even if he is ordained by God, and the scriptures do not uh exonerate Caesar uh, in his manifestations when he misbehaves. Uh, rather, a prophetic voice needs to be raised against Caesar uh, while we must you know submit in some respects uh there's a place for the apostles and the prophets and Christ himself. To address Caesar and his um, disobedience pretty bluntly. You mean in the so way like B- John
2: the Baptist uh, addressed Herod?
3: Like like John the Baptist addressed Herod, like Christ addressed Pilate, like uh, Saint Paul addressed Caesar, um, and uh, several of the Roman officials, uh, and and historically uh, Christians throughout the centuries have uh, not been afraid to address. Uh, the powers that be of their time, and uh, and this was in fact pro- prophesied by the prophets. Uh, said uh, that when uh, the message of Christ would be would uh, would be spread, it said he would startle. He would startle many nations. Kings would be amazed. They would shut their mouths when the truth of the gospel comes to them. It it shocks and frightens them. Uh, so yeah, hmm. there's there's a place in which. Uh, the message of the Gospel needs to grapple with the powers and not merely uh, endorse them mm-hmm. that was a that was a point that i'm not sure we really got to yesterday but uh, but I, I wanted to clarify and bring it up bring it on up today.
2: How does that lead us into our third topic today what is what is our third manifestation that we struggle with today
3: okay um i'm going to i'm going to pick a kind of a catch all word that uh, most of us as Christians have some sense of what it is, and that is the nature of the pharisee uh, and I would like to de- describe what I think uh pharisees um, are were and are and will be, and uh, how how we have to deal with them and so I'm going to say uh, <clears throat> i'm going to, I'm going to categorize uh, Pharisees in uh in three ways, um, the personal Pharisee, the institutional Pharisee, and the organized Pharisee. Um, I think I'll start with, um, with the organized Pharisee. Um, historically, uh, the Pharisees were um, men who were primarily political men. They were not religious men. Uh, and sometimes we um, forget that But uh, the Pharisees were a politically motivated men They were men who um, were interested in social prestige They were interested in political control They were interested in financial gain They were interested in um, political relations with, um, with whoever the local powers were And they had, in essence... They were operating um, using religion as a cloak and as a means of social control and self-promotion, but they were not, in fact, uh, truly religious. Um, and I think um, sometimes Christians have thought that the that the um, that the Pharisees were were truly religious. Um, but I think a careful reading of what the Lord says about them makes it clear that they were not. Uh, Religion is the desire to um, really get into contact with God and have him rule your life uh, in whatever way he wishes to do so. And uh, the Pharisees were pretty much the antithesis of that. And so, um, I'd just like to stress that they were political creatures. Um, their, their, their apparent religion was um, simply a cloak to uh, conceal and justify uh, their political agenda. So that's uh, so much for the organized Pharisee. Um, the second characteristic is what I would call the institutional Pharisee, and that is um, – Anytime you have a group of people working together and they form some kind of a collective and uh, they establish some kind of an institution, whether it's a, um, a religious institution or a political institution or a social club or a, or a military organization, um, you will find uh, – you will find there is a tendency, and apparently it's just a part of human nature, there's a tendency uh, for people to coalesce and um, and try to control whatever it is they're doing. And uh, sooner or later, this begins to distort, and the institutions that are created begin to divert from their original intention and mission, and you have the part controlling the whole. And uh, I don't know what the answer to this is, but I think people, you, we see this all the time in uh, businesses, labor unions, political parties, churches, you name it. So um, this is the second place where I think Phariseeism manifests itself, where you have uh, uh, hidden agendas begin to arise and uh, people don't know what to do with them. And the third place where um, Phariseeism exists is in my heart and uh, probably in yours, I would say. And that is um, that inward tendency within our own selves to um, prefer appearances to reality, to uh, prefer uh, control and security rather than justice and mercy, to uh, make sure that I get what I want rather than that I live an honorable and virtuous life. Uh, I think we're all tempted to that. And so that's the third place where I see the Pharisee. Uh, it's interesting you I, mentioned... I, I'm a, monologuing here. Go ahead. Well,
2: you mentioned, you, you mentioned that a Pharisee would prefer security over... Um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the rights of the, yeah. the individual, because I thought about the... the the uh, deliberations of the Pharisees in Scripture when they said it was better for one man to die for the nation than for all of them to be, uh, all of them to die. And I'm thinking that's the same mindset we're talking about, right? We'll sacrifice the rights of an individual for some kind of collective security.
3: Yes. Um, There's a tradition in uh, British law that is uh, attached to Jeremy Bentham where he, Essentially, um, disagreed with Blackstone and uh, natural law and common law and preferred a utilitarian law, which said uh, the greatest good for the greatest number. Uh, If some people have to be sacrificed for the greater good, then by all means go ahead and sacrifice them. Um, I would call that a kind of Phariseeism.
2: Can you clarify again for me? I'm sure our audience got it, not just me, but about these three different manifestations – What is the overarching commonality of the umbrella, why they all carry the same name, Pharisee? What is the common thing amongst all of them that is Pharisaical?
3: Um, Preferring um, the self or or the group self uh, rather than submitting to God.
4: Hmm. Yeah.
3: Okay it's um it's what I want, or if I think uh by making an alliance with you that uh that you will help me to get what I want, then I will make an alliance with you but it's um it is a matter of getting what I want uh regardless of what God wants would it be fair to saying, say
1: that yeah. that the the overarching thing would be that Pharisees are fundamentally inward and self seeking whereas the Christian life is fundamentally othered and outward-seeking, you know, you first, um, you know, uh, let me serve you, servant attitude, all that stuff.
3: Yes. You know, uh, the, Christian, the Christian virtues are, are really clear from Christ. The greatest of all is the servant of all. Um, we desire to um, harmonize ourselves with uh, God's will. There's a the encouragement that uh, as we do so, uh, gifts and powers uh, may be given to us as we are trustworthy and that we can do great good and that we can be hospitable people, uh, peaceful people, gentle people, loving people, effective people, and powerful, but within the restraints of loving kindness. Uh, and that is... You know, totally uh, at odds with the idea that uh, what I want and money and power and acquisitions uh, of more property than I deserve and so forth, uh, these two things are pretty diametrically opposed.
2: Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can say it's even for God that we do the work of God while we pursue those kind of things. Uh You you know, this back to the individual versus the seeking the the self-will or the collective will and individuals who may pay the price, individuals, it makes me think of the shepherd. And the shepherd that Jesus showed was willing to leave the 99 to care about the well-being of the one, to to rescue him or to look for the lost coin. Whereas this is a group like the false shepherd uh, who, who would easily sacrifice any, in fact, consume them themselves you know, tear off the hooves of the sheep as the false shepherd. So isn't that another contrast is that this type of mindset is willing to sacrifice people at will for the greater good while the Christ shepherding example cares about each individual and their impact?
3: Yes. And <clears throat> While you were saying that, I was uh, reminded of uh, of the fact that, uh, uh, you know, I tell people that I'm a Christian libertarian, and uh, to use a label like that is, you know, can be dangerous because the word libertarian means different things to different people. Um, but there are some people <clears throat> who consider themselves libertarians, and, and they have a right to, to say that, who believe that, uh, that there is a great virtue in selfishness. Right. Uh, mm. I, don't, I don't hold that point of view, and I, I would be sorry – if anyone thought that because I call myself a libertarian that I believe that there is a virtue in selfishness, I do not. Um, I think I know my scriptures well enough to know that uh, that's something that God does not favor and God will not bless. Uh,
2: in fact, didn't he address it directly? Didn't Paul address about about the liberty that we have in Christ and it is not a license not to sin?
3: That's right, not to be used, I think he says, as an occasion to the flesh is that it's
2: right. stated uh-huh but uh, it it and, and allows us to freely serve God and make ourselves living sacrifices uh okay. voluntarily on behalf of others hey, the, the These types of Pharisees that you have laid out i I presume that you would state that they still exist today and are functioning today. if that's the case what, what is their impact on society today in two thousand and
3: ten pervasive
2: what what types of uh impacts do they have what are some examples of how they impact us
3: mm. um, I, I would say uh, uh a, a pharisaic mindset is the is the fundamental um, organizing principle of uh political parties um, i think it is um It is a fundamental organizing principle of secret societies. Um, It can sometimes even um, creep into churches where, um, you know, uh, God forbid, but it happens sometimes where uh, uh, pastors uh, will uh, have an agenda that – ultimately uh promotes their career uh, rather than uh, emphasizing uh, service to the body of Christ or to Christ himself uh i'm I'm digressing but we you know we we can talk about political sins too but you know I think uh Christians in the church uh we need to examine ourselves and uh, and ask ourselves are we sometimes ourselves playing the role of the Pharisee are we making excuses for you know Getting what we want, and uh, you know, if uh, if my 401k is okay, I really don't care what happens uh, to the stock market. Uh, I don't really care uh, what our foreign policy is. Um, just make sure that I'm taken care of.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how was this term uh, connecting these to to the Pharisees and their manifestations? You know, in this eureka moment that you had of being able to really pull this under that kind of definition, what was critical to you in the in the importance of being able to see these kind of activities in our own culture right now, uh, in terms of the the view of a Pharisee and the scope of it? What, what what was critical? What did you really learn by linking the two together?
3: Well, I guess I learned that um, that it's a it's a human problem um it is it is something that can happen to any group of people um, they can they can find themselves uh becoming Pharisees or being overtaken by outsiders um, and I think one of the things that um that helped me um, was to realize just recently that this is primarily a a political Phenomenon. Um, it's not primarily religious, um, though it shows up in religions, but what, is, what has happened is that um, whenever, whenever this shows up, the, the religion is undergoing a, a process of, of being hijacked or disease, you know, we've been hit with a virus, uh, <clears throat> possibly of our own making. Uh, but possibly coming from outside, uh, how do we deal with it? What do you think? How do we deal with it? Um, how do you deal with your own inner Pharisee?
2: Well, it's got to be dealt with spiritually. I mean, I've, I've got to uh-huh. go spend well, some time with God and his word.
1: And, yeah, word and what what is true and what is not based on. What's in the Bible is always a good first start. Be
2: circumspect. Uh, be self-judging. Taser. Uh, yeah, I don't think tasing yourself <laughs> helps, but uh, but but basically, you've got to compare yourself on a regular regular basis to Christ's model, mm-hmm. and to see where you don't fit that template. Then there's something that needs to be addressed at that point. Uh, what now, What are your thoughts on this?
3: Well. Um, just change of subject i 'm um, concerned when uh, when I hear um, Christian leaders and spokesmen who have um, you know have either been entrusted with uh, the responsibility for the flock of God or they have taken this upon themselves <clears throat> and they they organize and they start talking about how we 're going to take control of this country for God, uh, and we 're going to impose some kind of Christian uh, something, I'm not sure what to call it, Some something um, on the people. Um, I could be wrong, maybe, maybe there's some hidden good here that I'm not aware of, but uh, I fear the spirit of the Pharisee there, uh, the desire for control, the desire for power, the desire for prestige, um, it worries me. Mm -hmm. What do you think
2: about it? Well, you know, that's been a theme of a few of our shows recently. Um, It's been packaged under different names, you know, Dominionism or Mountains of Influence or things like this. It's one manifestation. It's certainly not the only one. But but that's that's the most explicit of actually taking coercive control over other people while at the same time setting up autocratic rulers that are not just autocrats over our spiritual lives but also over our civil life uh, as well, too. Uh, that's immediately what I thought of when you're, when you're making this kind of description like this. Um, why do you feel like this message is so urgent for right now, today?
3: Um, because, um, because I think, uh, we're, we are systematically losing all of our battles. Um, and, and the way we're losing our battles is, um, is to is to uh, think that if we could just get control of the situation uh, this would constitute winning uh, when really uh, getting into control really means that we've we've handed the we, we've we've uh, fallen into the same agenda we've just changed the names
4: mm.
3: now we're now we 're the pharisees uh, here's here's one for you uh, i'm a little worried about our our good friends in Arizona, and uh, I don't want to advise them because I don't live in Arizona. I love the state. It's beautiful. I love to hike the Grand Canyon, um, but I wonder about our, our friends in Arizona who are going to um, start insisting on stopping people and documenting people um, in in the name of, um, of good law enforcement and they do have a problem uh, that that I don't know how they're going to address. Um, but uh, that sounds real good. But you know, the next time uh, I drive through Arizona, I really don't want to be pulled over and stopped, and uh, everybody in my family have to produce documents. Mm-hmm. You
2: know, sure.
3: That sounds that sounds more like the Soviet Union mm-hmm. uh, than that, the United States.
2: That just happened to me a couple of months ago. I was in a southern town with another brother and. And uh almost every city block. We were stopped, uh not told why. We were asked for our ID, we had to pass all our driver's license, they wanted to know where we were going, why didn't you? No, no. Are you no. Me? no. And it was in a small southern town, it happened on multiple days in a row, a few blocks apart, Would never explained why, um what they were looking for or whatever. And it it really felt like I almost had been assaulted. Uh, and yes. until you experience that, you don't understand what someone, how someone else might feel about that. We're, we're down to about two minutes. Can you summarize what our listeners need to know about this concept and what they need to be on the lookout for and maybe starting to address?
3: Um, resist the Pharisee. I can't tell you how to do it because uh, I don't know how to do it myself. But we've got to find a way. Of resisting the Pharisee, uh, it's poison. It is spiritual poison. Um, we can't get over into Pharisee-type thinking. Um, we don't want to get into social control. We don't want to get into religious control. We don't want to. We don't want to um, be responsible for forcing people to do something. Uh, that is contrary to the real will of God, uh, and then uh, we're responsible. You know, if we force somebody to do something that is contrary to God, um, we, we bear the full responsibility for that. Um, so I would say um, look in your own heart first. Uh, if you find a Pharisee in your heart, as, as most of us probably will um You gently um, put that Pharisee to sleep, okay, and, uh, you know, a lethal injection of your inner Pharisee, um, and then recognize that all human institutions uh, tend to move in that direction. Uh, It seems to be just a part of human nature, and then realize that there really are uh, bands and groups of well organized people for whom this is a way of life uh, they're very effective they're very dangerous um, and uh, I don't know when we're going to meet them but um, they're out there
2: we're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future
1: and Tom not a Pharisee, question mark, bionic
2: well I hope you are, I hope even internally you
1: aren't. Uh, I'm definitely not.
2: You know this is one of those kind of things you got to meditate on this and just think what are the ramifications. I did like his point about you hang out I did
1: like some. his point about the fact that, you know, Pharisees the Pharisaical attitude as he defined it tended to be in uh, a fundamentally like looking inward to yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try and do this stuff, this is me, you know, and then whereas the Jesus it's individual life individual
2: and group uh, yeah. goal oriented. Whereas
1: Jesus yeah. the Jesus life is fundamentally other centered.
2: Yeah. Right. Uh, somebody else you need to hear from is Merv, who can tell you how to contact us in Future quick.
5: Comments on the shows, topics, or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Doctor Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
1: Okay, we gotta go. He's fundamentally under
0: other uh, centered.
5: I think
2: so. Yeah. Uh, come back tomorrow uh, for our last segment. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day.
0: Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.
2: Welcome to the Future Quick Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom, Petting Machine Bionics. You're petting our other cast, our staff yes. member here, mm-hmm. uh, Pyro Bennett. Uh, here for our last segment with our guest this week, Robert Hyde, who's been talking about challenges to the Christian and modern American society. Mm-hmm. Every day has been a um, different topic and a very experimental show for us. Mm-hmm. And today we're going to talk about possibly a solution or maybe the direction we need to go to yep. see things better. This mm-hmm. is a, a very contemplative, almost sort of mystical kind of show. You really got to have to think about like it. I
1: feel like I got to go stand around in the woods for an hour or
2: so. Yeah, well, you will more so after this segment. Mm-hmm. So, ladies and gentlemen, here's our last segment with Robert Hyde, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, into my inner life, Bionic. Oh, always spoiling what's coming next year. We're Come on. <laughs> It's the shadowing. Yeah, it's the shadowing. We are in our fourth day of our visit with our good friend, Robert Hyde, uh, educator, mathematician, pastor, um, all of the above, Uh, back again this week talking about the challenges to the Christian in a modern American society. Uh, This has been an experimental show this week, and uh, we've been talking each day about a different aspect of different challenges. In the first three days we've had have been um pretty heavy-duty, and we've really only been able to scratch the surface each day. Uh, yesterday we talked about uh, Phariseeism mm-hmm. and uh, its return and being Pharisaical uh, in so many manifestations in our current culture. Uh, so you, you've laid these problems we've had from uh, Caesar, our role in the government, uh, the evils that can come from Caesar, the evils that come from a police state, an institutional state, a faceless state uh and then we talked about the Pharisees and their work that can even work within religious systems or other political systems where they become almost seamless uh do you have any answers for us today what's what's a christian to do given this dilemma in in modern society today uh what mm. w- what's the direction for the solutions robert um
3: first of, would you would you uh, doctor future characterize for me a little bit about um, what you think about your audience. Uh, you've told me that you get lots of emails. You get a lot of feedback from people. Uh, what, kind, what kind of people talk to you? What do well, they say?
2: They're, if, like, I'm amazed at their, their intellectual uh, capability and in the fact that they're very introspective, contemplative Christians uh, that don't buy the party line they hear, not only just in mainstream media but even Christian media. Uh, they recognize there are other things going on that aren 't being talked about um, they 're seeking deeper answers uh, in a relationship to the lord they 're concerned about the state of our our country and where it is and I think in many many cases they've connected the dots better than even Tom and I have uh, judging thought. judging mm-hmm. from the email so I guess that 's how I would describe them a very very enlightening crowd our typical futurians um,
3: well <clears throat> you and I have um, Studied um, the political situation in this country um, for quite a few years now, and a lot of times our our conversations have been from a from pretty much a political or economic perspective. And uh, um, I would like to <clears throat> step over into the specifically spiritual today, if I can, um, and just. Share some thoughts um, with the audience and um, i'm doing a little guessing as to uh, what what their thinking is but um, that 's why I asked you how, if you could characterize the audience uh, primarily uh, Christian people who really care um, I would like to uh, <clears throat> go back in our own lives, and we know uh, each of us. <clears throat> We we made a personal decision and commitment to Jesus at a certain point in our life and it was a point in which something major changed and it was the beginning of something different. And I believe I'd be correct in saying for for each of us that's conversing right now and for the people in your audience that for a time You were, and I, were very interdirected, and we were mindful of the changes that were going on inside us. Sometimes uh, you could literally feel transformations taking place. You found yourself making um, decisions on the basis of um, a voice that you had been ignoring before, but now you were listening to, or... um, Certain events came into your life that that had new significance, um, and things that um, you might have ignored or just passed over uh, a months or years earlier uh, take on heavy uh, significance, heavy symbolism to you, and you realize that uh, you've touched something that's really sacred. Um, I would like to encourage all of uh, us who are having this conversation today to recognize that that inner life of the Christian is the crucial thing. Um, Are we able to hear the voice of Christ? Uh, Can we sense the moving of the Spirit in our lives? Are we open to... Um, seeing God in the commonplace. are we open to seeing God moving us in fresh directions are we open to God surprising us um, in contrast to that <clears throat> do we think that we have to have a five year plan uh, do we think that um, if we can get hold of the next book uh, Christian book it will answer all of our questions um, do we think that hey if we listen to the next future quake show um, we'll get the um, the um, all the light that we need uh, the answer is um, I hope we don't think like that um, but what is the what is the inner voice of God and uh And I think um, as Christians in America, we have all heard the voice of God at one time or another in our life. Uh, But it is easy for us to drift to where we are looking to other voices for guidance. What do you think about that? I'd like for you to contradict me a little bit here because I don't think I've I've said everything uh, exactly right. So. How about
1: it? Mm-hmm. I would say that uh, it's interesting you mention this because uh, one of the things that one of the things that I find interesting is Brother Chris, whom I live with, uh, would be I find myself in the middle of of sort of what you're saying, being directed by the inner light and stuff, and really trying to strike a balance between prayer and planning, you might say. Yeah. Whereas whereas uh, on one side you have Brother Brother Chris White. Uh, you know, who I talk with all the time because I see him when I open the front door because he (laughs) lives in the room down the hall. Um, and brother, uh, and brother Mike here who I think would be over, uh, like brother Chris is very much, is like sort of all prayer and, and brother Mike tends to be more, more planning. And, um, I would say that I think they are both very, very (coughs) committed spiritual men who um fall at fall at the extremes of that continuum and I don't think that's necessarily wrong for them. So um I don't know. I I mean I I, I, it just seems like some people like some people are supposed to live uh an inner life where day by day they wake up and they get instructions from the Holy Spirit to do things and other people Mm -hmm. are supposed to, you know, uh, God says, You need to go study Hebrew so they go do that for like ten years. Right. Um, Without really, without really hearing from what you what you called the inner voice and the inner light. So, um, I I I mean I don't know. Maybe I'm not entirely grasping what you're saying.
3: Well, you you touched on something that that I was hoping would kind of come up. When I when I talk about the inner life and I talk about listening to the voice of the Spirit or hearing the voice of Christ, this is not to uh, is not to diminish. Uh, the value of listening to uh, Christian brothers and sisters
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, or even worldly people who may uh, have some important experience or little a bit of the truth that we need to hear at a certain time. Hmm. Um, in that case, I'm, what I'm saying is that I think the inner life uh, helps us to be sensitive when we hear the voice of God wherever we hear it. And sometimes it comes to us through other people, and it comes through us externally. But uh, it seems to me that uh, <clears throat> when we when we talk about uh, the police state, or we talk about rendering unto Caesar, or we talk about Phariseeism, uh, the common denominator here is um, external control, uh, where some body is trying to put their agenda on you, on me, on our friends. Uh, and we need to resist that. Uh, and, the, and the way we resist that is um, by ourselves really seeking to be as um, sensitive and open and obedient to the will of Christ as we possibly can be and the desire to be always more available to him. Um, you know, I take a lot of uh, courage from that strange story where St. Peter uh, has just uh, witnessed the good confession, and he says to Jesus, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Um, Jesus says to him, uh, you're blessed, Uh, flesh and blood has not revealed uh, this to you but my Father who is in heaven and so you have it on the very highest authority that uh, St. Peter is in touch with God Uh, we know that he's going to be a very preeminent apostle Uh, his salvation is secure Uh, but uh, very shortly thereafter he proposes something to Christ and uh, Jesus says get behind me Satan Uh, and it, it seems to me like um, St. Peter, what, it, it, to him it felt like an inadvertence. Uh, he he was not consciously turning himself over to Satan. It, it, it almost felt to him like an accident. Um, he felt like he had the very best intentions. And I say I take courage from that uh, because what I'm saying is um, this appears to be the experience of even the very best of Christians. Uh so uh, we we remain yielded to Christ, and we allow him to correct us uh, as quickly as he may when we make mistakes. Uh,
2: Robert, I want to ask you a, a question about what you said before, and I wanted to sort of stay quiet about this. I understand you're probably you're picking up another phone there, got a little phone issue. But uh, what I take from what you're saying about our, our propensity for all of us to fall into this is that we need to be careful – when we start shaking our fingers at fellow Christians in some of these issues, even when we may be on the right side, and recognize that we can all fall into subtleties in the seduction of different traps like this, and we need to deal with each other tenderly in, in how we address right. these things that come up. And 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 secondly, um, when you when you're talking about the inner life, I guess what I'm reading into it, and I hope I'm reading correctly, is that. Uh, it reminded me of something that you told me some time ago, and we've been in the middle of all this information and trading notes over the years, where we were getting deluged with information from the web and from other places and really sort of shocking our worldview of what we understood was going on. And I think there was a time when you said, man, I need to step back from all this information and just spend time thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we're, th- thankfully we're in an era where we can actually hear independent voices via the Internet or shows like this or things where we can actually get access to information that wasn't available some time ago. and But there's an overwhelming amount of it. And then you've got to sift through and find out what's truth and what's a mixture of truth and exaggeration and on and on. But, but the deepest questions and the deepest answers come not from just collecting data, but they come from contemplating the mind of Christ. And they come from time spent alone thinking about the fundamentals of life and then how to apply them to day-to-day life. So, I, I guess that's what I read into what you're saying, is that we need to spend more time, rather than going blow by blow account on every little thing that's going on, and, and, and in fact, just taking the word from even fellow Christians, uh, who are saying, you know, the, the, this, these are the people we've got to address right now, here's the cause for today, and stop and think about what is the real truth that comes from Christ, and let that dictate our thoughts, our attitudes, in our actions and these issues that that new, do need addressing, they can't be ignored, but they really need to come based upon a truth that we know self-evident from our relationship with Christ, rather than a set of maybe questionable information, even from fellow Christians.
3: Yeah, you know, while you were while you were saying that, I was I was thinking um, maybe of three things I'd like to pass along for whatever they're worth, uh, in terms of specifics in the inner life. Um, the first thing um, that I think has been important to me is to have a thankful heart, uh, and I hope um, that when we get together and we sort of publicly express our concerns about uh, bad things that, that we see coming down the road, that uh, our listeners don't get the idea that we're not thankful. Um, we are thankful. I'm thankful. Um, I'm a blessed person uh God has been very gracious to me and uh, and I trust that the Lord will continue to um, provide and guide us through uh even if we're going through dark times. Um, and so I think um, I would encourage uh, other brothers and sisters to uh, have a thankful heart. Really um, really be serious about that. Uh it's it's spoken to us by uh Christ and the apostles uh many times. Uh, a merry heart does good like a medicine. Uh, in everything, give thanks. Uh, the uh, the second thing that I think is important is uh, is to realize that one of the main things that uh, Christians need to be busy doing is in the business of forgiving sins. Um, we bring the gospel to people by helping them to receive the forgiveness of god in the shed blood of christ and uh, to understand that they have been completely forgiven uh, no no evil works of the past will be held against them um they they are they are welcome to come into the family of god and uh, have their lives transformed and um and because of this we really are supposed to love our enemies. Uh we are not we are not supposed to kill our enemies. We are not supposed to uh you know, blow them all into heaven and let God sort them out. Um, our responsibility is to bring God's love and God's forgiveness and uh uh Well let that, me ask you this. Does, that's is, true this is for this, any political group yeah. go ahead. Does
2: mm-hmm. this mean that any kind of cause we get behind? whether it's secular, whether it's of the Christian, if the end game is not redemptive in nature, then we've gotten on the wrong train?
3: I think so. Interesting. Um, um, let, me take a, let me take a case. Uh, let me talk about the pro-life movement. Um, the pro-life movement uh, in its early days especially was really about um, – Saving babies and uh, making sure that uh, m- mothers who were in um, difficult circumstances uh, were encouraged that the Christian community was there to help them and to uh, and to not lose their children just because um, mistakes had been made or, or some uh, misfortune had arisen. Uh, but we were to we wanted to love the children and, and see that they had a happy life. Uh, I think that's still largely true in the uh pro life community, but I think some people have made it um uh, a means for uh battling and arguing and uh, uh becoming very irate uh at other people and uh missing missing the real point, which was to bring love and help and forgiveness and life into a situation where there was uh uh, the, the potential for a real tragedy to occur um, there's one mm-hmm. uh, I think I interrupted your thinking.
2: No, I think that's just the, the what I gathered from what you're saying is that redemption should be the end game of any kind of action that we take if if we're in line with with Christ, and that is whether we see some terrible evil, uh, someone involved in the occult that is doing horrible things against Christians, if we see some kind of great political force that wants to wipe out us or our neighbors or all the Christians, or even if it's a fellow Christian who we feel like has stepped out of bounds and has gotten off the path, in all of those circumstances, the the, the final approach is to create a redemptive environment and to accomplish redemption. Uh, and if that's not the plan that's proceeding forward, then something has stepped out of bounds the way Christ would would pursue it
3: right that's right and um uh, maybe and and the third a third area i've mentioned uh thankful heart and i've mentioned uh uh the call to forgive um the third thing is uh something that i feel like i've begun to understand about silence um i used to read um <clears throat> um a good christian literature by quakers and uh and others who uh practice silence and i don't think i really understood what it was they were talking about and to me it was um i thought it was um that the goal was to be quiet so that uh maybe god would speak to you uh and i think i i think just slightly differently about it now um we become silent so that we can hear the conversation that is already going on inside our hearts. Uh, Every Christian does have the Holy Spirit resident within, and the Holy Spirit actually is speaking into the soul, and he actually is in the process of transforming us. And uh, the only thing that uh, is missing sometimes is that we're not paying attention. And if we become really silent, sometimes we can overhear those words and thoughts of the spirit as he is transforming us. And we can cooperate with him uh, and be aware as he is performing transforming works in our lives. And I think... Um, this really comes back and addresses um, the the real spiritual problem of the Pharisee, and why the political or religious or institutional Pharisee, or our personal Pharisee, uh, is a is a sworn enemy of Christ, and that is it is trying to substitute its voice, and trying to drown out the voice of the Spirit within.
2: And then serve as a substitute. Yes. So so let me ask you this then. I know we're, we're getting to like the last three minutes of the show. Uh, if we're faced with an issue that we need to really take a position on that's important in society, if we spend time alone in contemplation and separate ourselves from all the din and the hollering and everything else and spend time just thinking about meditating on God, what's going on in our hearts, what we know in the Word, and that will lead probably to to an answer or position. I, any answer or position that's an, antithetical to that or coming from people that are not spending that same time as themselves doing that activity is probably deviating off the wrong path, is it not? I don't know. Um... In other words, mo- mobs with pitchforks, <laughs> even if they're good godly Christian people with Bibles (laughs) under their arm? Do they come with the same kind of long-term reason, solution, that is God-inspired, that when you have separate Christians alone in solitude with God contemplating an issue, all the aspects of it, the impacts, how it affects all parties involved, how it means to be in in the shoes of another, to do unto others, all these things, uh, the answers that come from that kind of activity when everyone is alone in solitude I, isn't it true that those those answers are going to be usually very very different than the answer of the mob, even if the mob is just assembled around a a radio network or whatever it might be? Oh
3: uh, well, I I think that it is it is often true that the that the small solution uh, is is the best and. And the Lord um, likes to work in very small ways. And we can, we can usually have more of an impact with people one-on-one or one-on-two or three than we have in some kind of a big, gigantic marketplace uh, affair. And I think uh, Christians probably need to... Uh, think m- m- much more about um, the the eternal significance of the very small things that we do. Christ is, is very uh, favorable to the sparrow that falls, the lily of the field, the child that receives the cup of cold water. Um, I don't see him really excited about big revolutionary movements. Uh, I don't see him encouraging a big clash of civilizations. Uh, I, I would just like to to encourage um, all of all of us that um, you know you you are of supreme importance um, to yourself and the Lord and your personal connection with him. And my personal connection with him are the things of greatest value and uh, as the Lord says, "So what if you gained the whole world and you lost your soul? Uh, the Christian's inner life, uh, the relationship of the soul to god is is the most crucial thing. and uh, all of the other political affairs that we concern ourselves with rightly so um have to arrange themselves around those fundamental truths
2: robert that has to be our final thought it's the end of our show i want to thank you so much for coming to be with us today
3: okay it's been uh, a, a pleasure
2: okay we used up our time that's it
3: all right let's just get out of here
2: okay um merv would you tell our listeners how to contact us at future quake
5: Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Doctor Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
2: Okay, come back tomorrow for tomorrow's trimmers, right? Yep. Until then we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day.
0: Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
2: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future.
1: And I'm Tom, Colonel Tom to you, Bionic.
2: Why am I? Why are you Colonel Tom?
1: Oh, I don't know. I was just thinking about the A-team. Okay. Da, 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 da,
2: da. Yeah, I don't think we qualify for that We're <laughs> on the alphabet. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you today. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the interview this week. Um, this is Friday, which means it's a very special day that Tom's going to tell, Colonel Tom is going to tell us, what that <laughs> refers to?
1: control w- to Colonel, Colonel Tom. <laughs> uh, today is tomorrow's tremors, or tomorrow's review of the futures
2: news? Yeah, you—that's a minus. Today, oh, yeah. today's review of the futures news. Oh. Okay, so pretty close. Uh, you know something I forgot to announce last week? Um, last week was the beginning of our third year on WENO. You know.
1: High five! we got to have a cake or something. Except yeah. I can't eat cake right now on my new...
2: Yeah. ...on what I'm eating. Your diet du jour. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that. We could eat some seaweed or something like that yeah. on your diet. Uh, yeah. Yeah, third, third year on WNO. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you get a chance, uh, go to WNO.com. Send them an email, particularly Dave at... Uh, they have a sister station, WNAZ. Uh, and if you want to send something to Dave at WNAZ.com and tell him thanks for having us on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, uh, they'd like to get some feedback. Yeah. And we'd appreciate that because Future Quake probably wouldn't be here without them. Yeah. So just want to thank them out there publicly, uh, for being brave enough to put us on the error. Mm-hmm. We know there's many who would not. That's we have true. proof of that. They would not put us <laughs> we on the error. Le- we have the rejection. That's letters. right. So just thank you that, uh, I feel like they were used of God. Mm-hmm. on our behalf to put us here so we really mm-hmm. appreciate that uh, a couple of quick announcements yep. uh, one is you've got a speaking engagement coming up here in a few weeks people indeed, need to sir. know about it.
1: indeed sir i will be speaking at the ancient of days conference uh july i believe i'll be speaking july the 3rd um, july 3rd yeah okay. I'll, be, I'll actually be i think i might even be hitting be be opening the same slot that you did last year opening really? the conference at 10:40
2: really yeah. okay opening act yep well, uh, that's great. Do you happen to know uh, some other speakers that are going to be there? Well, of course, Joe Jordan, Guy Malone. Um, uh, that's it. You know, it'll probably you'll be the lucky one that'll actually be there when something lands at Roswell. And then I'll like just you didn't do it on my like watch when I was cast there. Cast
1: it out, and then it's like, whoa, it's yeah, spiritual. So I rebuke, wow.
2: rebuke, then look. Yeah. Then ask questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it um, should be a great time. Mm-hmm. If you all have not been to Roswell in an mean, Ancient of Days conference, you should really go. Mm-hmm. It's worth the, the trip and just to see the other things that are going on there. And this issue is going to get bigger and bigger. Even if some of you all think it's crazy, it's not going away.
1: Mm-hmm. In fact, it's doing the opposite. Yeah,
2: it's getting to be a bigger issue. Yeah. You
1: get to see uh, it constantly on History Channel. The Asian uh-huh. aliens, oh, they came down.
4: All right,
2: and, uh, that's right.
1: Blah, blah, blah. Let's just ask Zachariah Sitchin. Only
2: they don't even have our standards for journalistic uh, excellence. <laughs> <laughs> on that, hey, uh, sleep paralysis—is that what you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Great. We're
1: speaking about sleep paralysis.
2: Okay. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a lot of our listeners experience sleep paralysis during listening. to future Yeah. That, this
1: is actually known as sleep paralysis, quite uh-huh. some, yeah. some circles.
2: They're probably glad to have that figure in the room to relieve them from mm-hmm. listening. It's to like, future boy, quake. at least I'm not bored now. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's great. It's good to hear that. And we have a show announcement Indeed. that. You you've said uh, we're gonna make a run for it for June twenty ninth. June the twenty ninth
1: will be the talkshoe dot com slash futurequake call in show. Yeah. Um. So probably first
2: ever experiment in six years of futurequake. Yep. Well, I mean, we sort of were on a call in at WRFN, but <coughs> but this is actually uh, nobody the, called in. in the w- <laughs> yeah. Only a handful. Well, the D W N O era. In yeah. one time. The W E N O era. Uh, we're gonna actually have a chance for you all, our listeners, our futurians to be able to call in on TalkShoe.com. Yes. And you'll be giving us some more details when that time comes. Mm-hmm. But uh it'll be at our normal recording time we have here, which is on Tuesday evening, 630 Central. Mm-hmm. That's our plan, yes. right, for now, unless people hear otherwise. And uh you'll be able to call in. We'll probably do a news segment maybe. Yeah, I would first. say we might
1: do a news or maybe even a little bit extended news. We'll see. Yeah and then um then start taking phone calls from different people.
2: Right. So y'all you behave yourself when yeah. you're on the air cuz we will record it and then broadcast it later for our mm-hmm. WNO. Yeah, who rose? Thursday, I want to
1: see you I want to see you there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, that's it for our announcements. See, you have a story for us.
1: Um do you want to go first or should
2: I I don't care.
1: Call it. Um well, I showed you this one and I think it's just so interesting. Okay. Um I'll 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 go first Sure. Deepwater Horizon survivors kept in seclusion after rig explosion coerced into signing legal waivers. This is via Yahoo News. Uh, According to two surviving crew members of the Deepwater Horizon, uh, oil workers from the rig were held in seclusion on the open water for up to two days after the April 20th explosion while attorneys attempted to convince them to sign legal documents stating that they were unharmed by the incident. The men claimed that they were forbidden from having any contact with concerned loved ones during that time, and were told that they would not be able to go home until they signed the documents they were presented with.
2: Okay. <laughs> so basically, they were kidnapped. They were they were held. If you want to get technical
1: will. about it, yeah. They were held against their will. <laughs> held against their will and forced to sign documents that. Uh, uh, given an ultimatum, you won't see your family unless
2: you sign these documents. You know. So, so what if somebody says, you know what, I'm still not gonna sign it. I'll just sit here. I mean, were they just gonna be there for 30 sharks years. They are think hungry. BP thinks that uh, sharks are hungry. Might have a little accident.
1: Yep. Let me show you the side of the boat. Let me show you the water splash.
2: Well, you know there were. That's sort of strange because it we went through like 11 people who they originally said got away mm-hmm. in a submersible, some kind of, some kind of a launch escape pod. Yeah. And they announced for a long time that they'd made it safe, and then suddenly they changed their mind. That sure. They did. I wouldn't be surprised
1: if they did something.
2: Uh, one of the stories that CBS's,
1: they have video of, is the Coast Guard denying them access of, of recording the Deepwater Horizon drill. Uh, and what they were saying was what was going on is that the deep water horizon, they, the, the the Coast Guard stopped them and said, we can't allow you to film out here. And they said, we're in international waters. Right. You, you can't stop us. And they said, well, no, look, uh we're sorry. You, we have to stop you. We're going to turn you around. You have to go back in. These aren't our rules. These are BP's
2: rules. Which, of course, are higher than the government's rules.
1: Yeah. Uh, and they—I guess it came to. According to one report that I read, it sort of came to a head. They just—they said, "Look, we will—you know—we're going to board you, or fire on you, or yeah. you know, levelled some sort of threat
2: to get them to turn around." So. So now this juggernaut, CBS News, mm-hmm. you're talking about mm-hmm. one of the bastions of our American society and the press. You know, are they just going to take that land down? Yes. Like, oh well. Yeah. No.
1: What are, you, are you kidding me? <laughs> <What> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm saying this
2: not on behalf of CBS, but on behalf of the American people. Oh, I know, sure. You but know, they're they don't supposed the to American bring the people. truth for yeah. the American people.
1: But even even their even their you know hosts and stuff have said, oh, we don't bring the truth. We just yeah report what what we want.
2: Yeah, very disturbing. Yep.
1: Um, I'll I'll, I'll give us another paragraph or two here. Um, Stephen Davis, is a seven year old a seven year seven year old. Stephen Davis, a seven-year veteran of drill rig working from San Antonio, told the Guardian's Suzanne Goldenberg today that he was held on, bo- on a boat for 36 to 40 hours after diving into the Gulf from the burning rig and swimming to safety. Once on a crew boat, Davis said, he and the others were denied access to satellite phones or radio to get in touch with their families, many of whom were frantic to find out whether or not they were okay. Davis's attorney uh, told Goldenberg, Uh, That while on the boat, his clients and the others were told to sign statements presented to them by their by attorneys for Transocean, the firm that owned the Deepwater Horizon, uh, or they wouldn't be allowed to go home. After being awake for 50 harrowing hours, David caved and signed the papers. He said most of the others did as well. Davis seems Davis' story seems to be backed up by a similar account given to NPR by another Deepwater Horizon crew member earlier in the month, Christopher Choi. A about on the rig said that the lawyers gathered the survivors in the galley of a boat and said, you need to sign these. Nobody's getting off here until we get one from everybody. At the bottom, it said something about, like, you know, this can be used as evidence in, the, in a court of law and all that. I told them I'm not signing it. Choi said that once he was finally allowed to get off the boat, he was shuttled to a hotel where he met up with his wife. At the hotel, representatives from Transocean confronted him again and badgered him to sign a statement. Exhausted, traumatized, and desperate to go home, Choi said that he finally relented and signed. Choi's lawyer, Stephen Gordon, uh, is incensed over what transpired in the hours after the explosion. He, along with other attorneys for Deepwater Horizon workers, is trying to get the documents voided by the courts. It's absurd, it's unacceptable, and it's irresponsible, Gordon told NPR. Uh, to say the least.
2: Well, I, Those I guess are the words that I would use. The better use. term, isn't there a, isn't there a uh, term called unlawful confinement? Yeah. I think that's illegal. Kidnapping? Well, even unlawful confinement would mean like I didn't go out and grab you off the street, but I kept you from your legal ability to, you know, go from A to B. Yeah. But that should not be uh, – contracts signed under coercion are, are not enforceable in a court of law. Sure. So if they stuck together, particularly if they all said, look, even the ones that signed it said together, we were coerced to sign these kind of things, and they can – you know, at least their testimonies are consistent on what happened. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't even be enforceable in court of law. That shows how bad this must have been. Yeah. This must have been really, really bad for them to do these kind of things.
1: Well, the stuff that I've read, the stuff that I've read, you know, there are engineers saying crazy stuff about, like, you guys, nobody understands how bad this is. I've worked in oil well as an engineer. You know, one of the mm-hmm. tops in the field is an oil well engineer doing exactly this type of thing. And the only way that we're going to close that is... Shoot a nuclear, a small nuclear weapon yeah. down there and detonate it, and that'll seal everything up.
2: I heard about it talked on Fox News. Yeah. About that same That's thing. like, are you? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Right. Man. So. Bad Don't
1: worry. At least BP's making the laws. <laughs> yeah. Laws of the sea, according yeah. to BP.
2: Well, I have one that makes you feel better.
1: Awesome. I got uh, plenty that make me feel better. For,
2: former CIA officials admit to faking bin Laden video. Whoa. Uh, Two former CIA officials have admitted to creating a fake video in which intelligence officers dressed up as Osama bin Laden and his cronies in an effort to defame the terrorist leader throughout the Middle East. The details are outlined in a Washington Post article, which I also reviewed, by investigative reporter and former Army intelligence case officer Jeff Stein. Mm -hmm. Now, this is from Prison or InfoWars.com, but they're, they're citing information from Washington Post which I reviewed. Mm-hmm. Stein's sources told him that during the planning for the 2003 invasion of Iraq, CIA's Iraq operations group considered creating a fake video of Saddam Hussein engaged in sexual acts with a teenage boy, then flooding Iraq with copies of the tape. That idea, along with faking Iraqi news bulletins, Never came to fruition, according to the former CIA officials, because agreement on the projects could not be reached between the Iraq group and the CIA's Office of Technical Services.
1: Well, that's interesting because having spent some time in the Middle East, yeah, uh, one of the little secrets they have there is um, if boys are, if boys are like underage, pre-puberty, yeah. it's okay to have yeah. relations with them because it's not, they're not of maturity. It's very, it's very, very weird.
2: You know what? That is an outlandish statement you just made, but it's exactly the one that was made in the Washington Post article. I know. Oh, I. They I, didn't mention it here, but it is true. They said that's why they turned it down. They said this shows the, the, them thinking that it would scandalize. It, so what was saying, it would not. They said, yeah. They said they didn't understand the culture because that that's no big deal. Yeah, that's not. It a, is to us, but it's not to them. I,
1: I've got, I've got several stories that would yeah. not be reviewable. Well, that's exactly on radio.
2: exactly what the military that people can, said. What you did. Yeah. Uh, it said, uh, however, two sources reveal that the agency did previously concoct at least one fake bin Laden video. The agency actually did make a video purporting to show oh, Osama goodness. bin Laden and his cronies sitting around a campfire swigging bottles of liquor and savoring their conquest with boys, one of the former CA officers recalled, chuckling at the memory. The actors were drawn from some of us darker-skinned employees, he said. The former officials told Stein that the project was taken over by the military after it ground to a halt. The reality, the former officials said, was that the agency really didn't have enough money and expertise to carry out the projects. Wrong. Now, what I read... Uncle Sugar's got plenty of money. And while what I read in the in the Washington Post article was, I think at least that one was disseminated to some degree somewhere. Yeah. Uh, it says the military took them over. They had assets in Cy War down in Fort Bragg at the Army Special Warfare Center. The latest revelation bolsters evidence that the intelligence agencies, and perhaps more significantly the military, have been engaged in creating fake bin Laden videos in the past. Now, here's some other evidence that uh, InfoWars provides. Mm -hmm. As we've exhaustively documented, they put their references in here. I suggest to go to InfoWars.com if you want to see this further. Mm -hmm. Uh, It says that they've documented Intel Center, the U.S. monitoring group that routinely releases bin Laden video and audio, much of which have been proven to be either rehashed old footage or outright fakes, is an offshoot of iDefense, a web security company that monitors intelligence from the Middle East. iDefense is heavily populated by long-serving ex-military intelligence officials, such as senior military PSYOP, intelligence officer Jim Melnick, who served 16 years in the U.S. Army Defense Intelligence Agency in psychological operations. They're the ones giving us these videos. Mm -hmm. Um, Melnick had also worked directly for former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld. Uh, Intel Center notoriously released the Laughing Hijackers tape and claimed it was an Al-Qaeda video, despite the fact that the footage was obtained by a security agency at a 2000 Bin Laden speech. Intel Center was also caught adding its logo to a tape at the same time as Al-Qaeda's so-called media arm, Al-Sabab, added its logo, proving the two organizations were one and the same. Huh. Could yeah, C- I
1: know. I've tried to tell people about that. that yeah. You look at these videos, and there's like the Al-Shahab logo and the Al-Qaeda Ra- logo, and they're in the same layer of video footage that CIA logos yeah. are. It's yeah. just like, gosh. Yeah.
2: yeah. But, you know, we've been dumbed down. Yeah. Could the CIA group of dark-skinned actors have been behind the infamous December 2001 fat-nosed bin Laden video that was magically found in a house... In Jalalabad, after anti-Taliban forces moved in, the tape featured a fat Osama laughing and joking about how he carried out 9 The video was also mistranslated in order to manipulate viewer opinion and featured Bin Laden praising two of the hijackers. Only he got their names wrong. This, <laughs> yeah, this Osama also used the wrong hand to write with and wore gold rings—a practice totally in opposition to the Muslim faith. Despite the fact that the man in the video looks nothing like bin Laden, the CIA stood by it and declared it to be the official 9 confession video. Mm-hmm. The latest revelation also shed light on another past bin Laden release, a tape in which he ludicrously declared himself in league with Saddam Hussein in the weeks before the erasion of Iraq. The notion that the CIA project was taken over and drastically improved by the Pentagon at some point after 2003 jives with the improvement in the quality of bin Laden videos in later years most notably the video that was released immediately ahead of the 2004 election uh, and its digitally manipulated duplicate from 2007 in which billon appeared to have a dyed beard uh so
4: hmm.
2: there'd be an interesting show if we could get an expert on on just the video that we've been given that's a, that's fake. a really good idea i thought it would be a good show that's a really good uh, you idea you know a lot of people still don't know on the day of 911 uh they showed that afternoon the Palestinian people dancing in the streets mm-hmm. and showed the lady going na 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 nah, infuriated people particularly infuriated Christians Christians just wanted to go kill everybody you know you'd mm-hmm. hear people saying that yeah and uh then we found out later that that was footage from a year prior yeah and they were showing it as if it was a response overseas to what was going on
1: for sure well i mean one one of the video things that i've seen two comments on that one is that a lady uh, a lady, I believe it was reporting for the BBC, said that the buildings came down 20 minutes before they actually came down. Right. Which was...
2: Well, the building, stand, you know, Building 7? Yeah. Like when it was standing right behind her? Yeah. And she said that it had fallen?
1: Yeah, that one. That when, video. When
2: they, quote, didn't know it was going to fall? Yeah. Nobody uh, knew?
1: Yeah. And then the other one, of course, was... um, um, Oh, well, I could just go on forever. I'll just stop there.
2: Well, do you have another story for us? Yes, I do. Lay it on us.
1: All right. Um, this one this one sort of relates to yours in okay. a sort of a little bit of a bleak way. Uh, House votes to expand national DNA arrest database. Okay. Um, this is via, via CNET. Uh, millions of Americans arrested for but not convicted of crimes will likely have their DNA forcibly extracted and added to a national database, according to a bill approved by the U.S. House of Representatives on Tuesday. By a 357 to 32 vote, the House approved legislation that will pay state governments to require DNA samples, which could mean drawing blood with a needle from adults arrested for certain serious crimes. Not one Democrat voted against the database measure, which would hand out about 75 million to states that agreed to make such testing mandatory.
2: That's should, more jobs.
1: Yeah. Be, uh, uh, well never mind.
2: <laughs> like the na- the naked body scanner jobs, you know? Yeah. That's no more jobs.
1: That would, like, gross me out, man. That would be a very disgusting job.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we should allow law enforcement to use all the technology available to them to reduce expensive and unjust false convictions, bring closure to victims by solving cold cases, better identify criminals, and keep those who commit violent crime from walking the streets, said Representative Harry Teague the New Mexico Democrat who sponsored the bill. But civil libertarians say DNA samples should be required only from people who have been convicted of crimes and argue that if there is probably cause to believe that someone is involved in a crime, a judge can sign a warrant allowing a blood sample or cheek swab to be forcibly extracted. Uh, except, of course, in the case of that gentleman up in New York several months ago who got uh, tasered until he opened his mouth because they lost right. the sample. Um, it's wrong to treat someone as guilty before they're convicted, says Jim Harper, director of information policy studies at the Cato Institute. It inverts the concept of innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, but you know what? That's innocent until proven guilty these days.
2: Hey, you scared Pyro and me both. Oh, I'm that.
1: sorry. Sorry, Pyro. You've been
2: doing a lot of dramatic paper uh, special effects, I've noticed, the last few weeks.
1: Well, that's pretty much the only special effects I have <laughs> at my disposal. I mean, I could talk about like, I mean, my stuff,
2: but... Yeah, you got our attention. You know. But you know what? Uh, the generation being born today didn't have to worry about all that mm-hmm. because they're taking their DNA surreptitiously in the hospital right now, so mm-hmm. they don't have to get their DNA then. Yeah. They already have in the government database when they're born in the hospital.
1: True.
2: Unless people have used midwives before they totally outlaw that. That's been outlawed
1: in New York. Midwives have been outlawed. You can't be a midwife in New
2: York City. Mm-hmm. Because the government has to control e- control you even before you're born.
1: Yeah, they said uh, one of the rationales I read was, um, look, we have to give you these shots. You know, when they listed the various shots they give young infants uh, to maintain health, so uh, we can't allow midwives because these kids may not get their shots. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah, because they can control them that way too. Can yeah. I? Retail yeah. store. We so only got a few minutes. A couple minutes left. Um, Obama interrogation official linked to U.S. mind control research. Wow. Figure we we've been on a mind control kick. That's coming in about fourth on our frequency of mention. Yeah,
1: mind control uh, Rockefeller.
2: Well, and uh, also an, another guy reappearing here. H.P. Alberelli was oh, uh, yeah. one of the writers here. Uh, he and Jeffrey K. describe how the CIA's Artichoke Project which uh, Dr. Colin Ross talked about, Mm -hmm. was the contemporaneous and operational side of the MKUltra Mind Control Research Program. It was not superseded by MKUltra in the 1950s, as often supposed. Even more, auto-choke-derived methods of using drugs, hypnosis, sensory deprivation and overload, behavioral modification techniques, and other methods of mind control have resurfaced as a primary component of U.S. interrogation practice. This is something we've been wondering about. You know, we asked Colin Ross, and we were hoping this wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. The Truthout, which is a truthout.org uh, article, includes some amazing revelations, including the largest description to date of the roles of the then-Ford administration officials, Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld, surprise, surprise, wow. and working hand In working hand-in-glove with the CIA to suppress information on artichoke from surfacing. The article also references the new November 2006 release of an, quote, instruction, from the Secretary of the Navy, uh, 3900-dot 39 d regarding its Human Research Protection Program. While this memo specifically prohibits the use of research upon prisoners, including so-called unlawful enemy combat- combatants, waivers of informed consent for research or suspension of the protections enumerated in the memo can be made by the Secretary of the Navy under conditions of, quote, operational contingency or during times of national emergency. In other words, there aren't really any such protections. Yeah, uh, I mean, there it's, are it's protections unless it's not. There are no protections. Convenient to have protections. Yeah. It is likely the latter rests upon the legislative language between the September 18, 2001, authorization to use military force, where terrorist acts are said to quote continue to pose an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States. The waivers allowed for normal human research testing. Uh, gains further piquancy when one considers the kinds of research referenced in the Secretary of the Navy's memo. Section 7A2A describes the Under Secretary of the Navy as the approval authority for research done, uh, I've lost my spot here, for research done upon prisoners, as well as severe or unusual intrusions, either physical or psychological, on human subjects, such as conscious altering drugs or mind control techniques. Awesome. Okay? This ties it to today. Yeah. This is not 1950s. This referencing of mind control technologies in a document specifically discussing human subjects, protections by then-Secretary of the Navy Donald C. Winter, is not an anomaly, but a rare instance in in which the actual activities of the government in this area are openly revealed. Some of these activities can be documented via publicly available materials, This article describes how some of the individuals involved in U.S. government mind control and torture activities can be tracked and identified. Uh, Another instance in which curtain was pulled back on mind control research by the U.S. government involved the online description by the American Psychological Association, APA, of the CIA and Rand Corporation Workshop, which it co-sponsored in July 2003 at Rand Arlington, Virginia headquarters. The event was attended by approximately 40 research psychologists, psychiatrists, neurologists, as well as representatives from the CIA, FBI, and Department of Defense with interest in intelligence operations. One of these workshops, ostensibly on detection of deception, specifically described how participants should consider, quote, sensory overloads on the maintenance of deceptive behaviors, including the use of pharmacological agents. How might we, the workshop asked, overload the system, overwhelm the senses, and see how it affects deceptive behaviors? The man in charge of recruiting the operational expertise for the workshop was Kirk Hubbard, Chief of Research and Analysis Branch, Operational Assessment of the uh, CIA. Uh, I'm going to skip down here. Mm -hmm. Uh, he He was also involved in the construction of the Bush Administration's Enhanced Interrogation Torture Program. Um, and it goes further uh, and talks about the involvement of... I really uh, wish
1: we could. We, we should do a whole Chinese. story on that. I mean, well, we
2: should get show. Al Borelli on. What do you think about that? Yeah, that'd be great.
5: FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at Dr. Future at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Sorry about that. Oh, I
2: think we talked about, it. we got four stories in it. Yeah, it was good, and they were really good stories. And a few announcements, and uh, that's it. All right,
0: let's get out of here.
2: Come back for a great guest next week. Until then, we hope your future's always bright.
0: Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.